welcome to another edition of The Edric Show. I am your host, Edric Jerome. And uh, as always, we promise you intelligent conversation with interesting people. Go ahead, hit that subscribe button as we continue to grow this thing from the ground up. You can also find us on Instagram at Edric Show. Today's guest is a fearless artist who is not afraid of shining a spotlight on controversial issues or topics. His first book, the critically acclaimed Black Passenger Yellow Cabs, a memoir of exile and excess in Japan, is an erotic autoethnographic memoir exploring the socio-psychosexual dynamics of modern day Japan. Yet it is also a detail of his own personal journey from self-destruction to self-actualization. Stefan is always a t- also a talented playwright and actor. He wrote and starred in the autobiographical one-man play, Doodoo Boy, The Search for Love from Cesspool to Sushi Land, and it was described by the Santa Monica Press as, and I quote, a piece so compelling, so beautifully structured, and played with such raw honesty that it transcends the boundaries of the theater walls. Stefan performed Doodoo Boy on stages in California and off-Broadway in New York City. Today, I'm pleased to welcome Stefan Bryan to The Edric Show, and we'll discuss his latest piece, the short film River Mama, which begins pre-production this July. Stefan once again dives headfirst into controversial subject matter that is compelling, frank, and necessary. Stefan, my old friend from years ago, man. It's good to see you. How you <laughs> thank doing, you, man? Thank you. Good to see you, too. Good to see you, too. Uh, you must be using all of LA because you haven't aged <laughs> in 10 years. You know, it's uh, you, if, if you think old, you'll be old, man. Yeah, so you yeah, gotta, yeah, that's you so know, true. That's mind so true. over matter, mind over yeah. matter. So thanks uh, for having me on. Thanks for having no, me. On. No, no. When I saw um, the, I know you. We'll, we'll get into the, you know you you'll start pre production pretty soon. But when I saw that you were actually getting into the fundraising stage, I wanted to have you on first of all because I haven't talked to you in a while. You're such an interesting dude, and secondly to talk about uh, River Mama, which is again going to be a piece that that uh, you right. are are putting it out there for people to digest and think about and and you and it's challenging. So let's let's get into it. So. First of all, uh, tell us about the concept and the story of River Mama. Okay, so River Mama started as a feature script in 1999. I wrote the feature script originally titled uh, Only Begotten in 1999. And uh, I started October 12th, 1999, and I finished the first draft New Year's Day 2000. Wow. And... And it's been since then it's been written a hundred it's been rewritten about hundred and twenty times. So and and when I started it, I was, it was way ahead of its time, man. People, you know, shopping it around, and it was when uh, Boys Don't Cry came out mm. with Hilary Swank, mm-hmm. and the response was, you know, Stefan, this is really profound, but we have one Boys Don't Cry, and you know, can we can you tone it down? Can you make it into a comedy? Can you? You know, yo mama, what's up? It's some, some, you know, can you jive it some? Can you just, mm. you know, this, this, it's just too thick and too <laughs> profound and too poignant. And it's not, we're not ready for this. Can you do something with it? And I said, no, mm. I'm not going to do anything with it. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, sorry, niggerize it like right. you want me to. I'm not going to yo mama it. I'm not going to, this is not, you know, how to be a player. This is a serious, this is serious content. This is a serious issue and I'm not going to do anything with it. And if I don't make this film ever, I will be perfectly happy with that because I'm very happy having written it. So it started out as a, a feature. Uh, the feature was adapted to a novel and then readapted to a feature titled Bird Sucker Lane, 
And uh, we tried to raise the, the funding for Berta Lane, which is probably like around eight, $900,000. And we couldn't. And so we decided, at least I decided to write a short based on River Mom, um, Berta Lane. And the, the objective is to make the short and use the funds and the notoriety and the attention garnered from the short to make the feature Berta Lane. And so this is where we are. But, but this has been in the making for 23 years now. Uh, I'm not, I'm not riding on the, the, the bandwagon of the LGBT issue. This was written 23 years ago. Yeah. And, and as I said, my opening, um, you have a knack for, for taking subject matter that some would find controversial or whatever, um, but, but putting it in a, and, and presenting it in a way that allows people to digest it, think about it. You are able to find the humor and the beauty in, in some of these things. So especially, you know, from tragedy. So maybe tell us a little bit about um, the story itself and, um, you know, what it's all about. So, so the story is about a, a guy in Jamaica. I mean, I, I'm from Jamaica. So, you know, you find that a lot of my stories are personal and they, they you know, they encompass my upbringing and my experiences. So it's very personal. So the story is about a, a guy who was raised by a pastoral father, a Bible-toting, hellfire and brimstone pastor father uh, in Jamaica, you know, and his mother died and he was raised on the pastor, on a church commune with his pastor. So he married a woman and he has a son, hmm. but he was having a relationship on the DL, mm. on the down low. So no one, you know, of course, being raised, born and raised in Jamaica, A, and B, in, in this environment, his father's a pastor, a preacher. Um, he, he was definitely not going to reveal his sexuality to anyone. But his father walked in on him with his male lover. And uh, he was outed. Uh, to make a long story short, you know, things are not very good for the LGBT community members in Jamaica. So he was outcast and... Um, he ended up trying to get asylum. And so he, he, he gets in the wheelbell of an airplane thinking he's going to Florida, to America, but he ends up in the UK. Hmm. And the story, I don't want to give it away sure, too much. Sure. The this, this story gets even deeper then because, uh, yeah, yes. But in the end, he prevails or she <laughs> prevails because she becomes a woman and she gets um, custody of her son and... Uh, you know, like I said, I don't want to go into too much details of course, about of course, it. Of course, of course. It's it's very dramatic. It's 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 super high drama. You people are going to be angry and and happy and 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 you know it, it's going to evoke a lot of emotions. And that's the objective. That's my work. That's what I do. I thrill. I get thrills out of like evoking emotions <laughs> out of people. If, you, if you're not emotional after you see it, I have, my work has not been done. Understood. So. Definitely understood. Um, Obviously, when you have a story like this and you want to present it as a short film, um, there are people you work with, partners, artistic partners. So who are some of the folks that are working with you on this project? Well, I hope to be working with, the, with JFLAG, the, the Jamaican Forum for Lesbian and All Sexuals and Gays. I, I just got a message from the, the, the um, I just got a message from the Trevor, the Trevor Foundation, the, the Trevor Group. Uh, an LGBT, I'm looking for my phone, I'm looking for a message, <laughs> uh, an LGBT organization um, in, in the U.S. that's willing to come on board. I don't know how they're going to come on board, but uh, we haven't started um, discussing it as yet, but they responded. Uh, and we're basically trying to find partners 
in the LGBT community to get this project off the ground. Um, I don't want to have to sell my only child. <laughs> I, it's going to be a difficult decision, but I don't want to get to that. But I would have to sell some organs or something to to get this project off the ground because I'm, I'm I feel very strongly about it. I think that it's something that should should be, um, yeah, the Trevor Project. Uh, they've just sent me a message on 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 Instagram actually saying, "Hey, we love this. We'd like to be involved." So, um, looking forward to other LGBT plus organizations uh, coming on board. Uh, you mentioned that you uh, grew up in Jamaica, and I'm interested to ask you. Um, how did growing up in Jamaica and then ultimately immigrating to the United States, how do you think that shaped your and perspective? Now Japan. And, and now Japan, that's right, because as we speak, he's currently in Japan. He lives in Japan. And uh, it's actually tomorrow as we <laughs> as we record this. Yes. Uh, <laughs> you're, you're talking to we, me in the future. Yeah, man. Yeah. We were trying to work on the times to do this. I'm like, OK, if we do it this time, my time is your time. You know, so it's all, <laughs> yeah, it's all yeah, good. Yeah. We got it together. Um, but my question is, how did growing up uh, in Jamaica Immigrating and ultimately, you know, coming of age really in, in the United States, now living in Japan. Um, how did that shape your perspective as an artist? Because I would imagine you've been involved in so many different cultures and, and, right. and things like that. Well, you know, you know, Edric, I really didn't consider myself as an artist. I, I really, to be honest. I really you're you're an artist. You're, yes, you okay. are. <laughs> All right. uh, OK, yeah, I guess I am. I, but I didn't really think about being an artist. I didn't know I was an artist. Uh, I just, you know, I grew up on this church cult and it was extremely restrictive. You know, I couldn't even go to the fence, to the wall. Hmm. So I couldn't, I couldn't go and interact with the outside world like normal children would. So I grew up observing. I grew up uh, nurturing the talent, the skill of observing, of social observation. And so that's, that's all I did in my, in my childhood. I, I, I was either daydreaming or observing and um, and, and because I was able to observe a lot, I started putting things on paper. I started writing and I started questioning things. I, you know, one of, the, uh, one of the influences of River Mama or Berta Kalein uh, is the fact that I witnessed the beatings and burnings of two gay men when I was a child. You know, mm. like in front of me, they were burnt to death. You know, one was at nine years old and one was at 11. And I remember at nine, not being able to understand, you know, because I was so habituated by violence. It was part of the habituation process. This is just like one of the killings that I'd seen. You know, it's just one of the dead bodies that I, I you know, stepped over on my way to school or something. You know, when I was going to primary school, Franklin Primary School, I remember that the Jamaica Defense Force tanks would drive slowly up the street and all the kids would come out of the tenements and walk next to the tanks because the murder rate was so high and, and killed, kids were being slaughtered left and right. So, so I, 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 when I saw this as a child, you know, this beating, I, I was totally fascinated by it, you know? And so they explained to me that they, they burn him up because he's a Batman. And, you know, and I was like, well, so what does that mean? What does it mean? I didn't know the word gay. I just mm. knew the word Batman. Uh, and it's like, yeah, he's in go with Araman instead of Oman. And I was like, okay, I, I'm a kid, I'm nine years old. I'm thinking, but why would, why is that, why would you kill someone? Why? I, I didn't get it. I didn't understand. And I thought at the time, I didn't know the word barbaric, but 
I thought something along those lines at the time as a child. I was like, something, these people, something is not right with them. Um, this is, I, I'm not happy. And I was very depressed too. I, was, I observed my environment very early that it, it was terrible. And I was extremely depressed and suicidal from four years old. So I was like, I wanted to get out of that because I didn't like these people that, I'm, that I was around, that if they could kill someone just because of that. I mean, I can see if when he steals something, he, he took something from you or, he, you know, Tifio, Kiar or something, then maybe uh, you could beat him up and kill him. But he's got nothing to do with you. He's, he's not going to touch you. He's not going to interact with you. Who cares about that? And so um, that's, that's the kind of the birth of this project. Um, you, you mentioned, um, your, your child earlier. And so, um, I would imagine being a child and seeing some of those horrific things that you've seen, and you mentioned some of the, the, the trauma that you've experienced, um, in addition to writing, what are some of the other ways you were able to, to deal with that trauma, especially oh as a God. child, man? Decades is, I mean, as a, as a, an adult, decades of therapy, man, decades mm -hmm. of, of cognitive behavioral therapy, uh, more recently, two and a half years ago, decade uh, years of, of uh, acceptance and commitment therapy. But I didn't deal with it very well, Edric. I was suicidal. I was suicidal from four years old. Four years old, I expressed to my mother that I wanted to roll off the bed and die. Hmm. And she proceeded to beat the crap out of me and then dragged me down to the preacher because we lived literally on top of the church. So we dragged me downstairs for the preacher to, quote, unquote, exercise the demons out of me. So I didn't deal with it very well. I dealt with it through, uh, through daydreaming. I spent every waking moment of my childhood daydreaming. And that's how I coped. Um, and I made a first attempt, which I talked about in my show, Doodle Boy, at nine. And I continued to make attempts until, until a long time, you know, even after going to the States and uh, getting my driver's license. Oh, God, it got, it got crazy. Um, so I didn't cope. There was no means of coping. There's no means of getting help in that environment. We're talking about the ghetto. We're talking about the garrisons in Jamaica. We're talking about, you know, this is this is not Chi Town. This is not Chicago. That Chicago now looks like Beverly Hills compared to this. So there, there is no, you know, there's no you want to kill yourself. You know, that's blasphemous. You know, you you get beaten for that. <laughs> a beating is the only solution. So no, I, I didn't cope with it very well as a child. It took its toll. Um, let me put a pin in that real quick, because I want to I want to touch on the mental health aspect of what you had to go through in the therapy, because, you know, we're coming and we were talking earlier, we're coming out of this COVID world where a lot of our young people and others are really struggling with mental health today. Right. You know, right. not right. from trauma, maybe as 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 something that you've experienced, but just in general with things being shut down, right of passages not being the norms. So right. um, having gone through years and years of therapy, as you, as you mentioned, um, what would you say to folks who, who might be experiencing some uh, and might need some help because of what we've just gone through for the past two years? I would strongly suggest therapy. Psychotherapy works. It worked for me. Um, it wasn't God. It wasn't the Bible. It wasn't the Quran. It wasn't religion. It was therapy and exercise. So, you know, I was severely depressed from early childhood. And uh, during my adult years, I think 
my last year at UCLA, I was like around 30. I started seeing a psychiatrist. In my second to last year at UCLA, I started seeing a psychiatrist and they started, because I mean, I was by then, I was an adult and now I know really how to commit suicide. Now I know what is going to actually make this final. You know, I'm intelligent now. I don't have to experiment with driving a car, whatever, 100 miles an hour. I can like finish it. So, but I finally, I went to a psychiatrist and I got some medication. I got, you know, I was prescribed everything. Paxil, Wellbutrin, uh, Zoloft, uh, all of them. And they all made me more depressed than suicidal. And as I wrote in Black Passenger, one of my friends, a Trinidadian guy, Ricky Marciano is his name. If he's out there listening, Ricky, he dragged me, literally dragged me to the gym. And, uh, you know, Ricky, he's a military guy, 70 kills under his belt. His mental health is not, his mental health is definitely very affected by his experiences in in the military. Dragged me in the gym because he wanted a workout partner. And I was just too ashamed. I couldn't. I couldn't say to him that I don't want to go to the gym because when you're depressed, the last thing you want to do is, is exercise. So <clears throat> to save face, I went to the gym with him and he started me on this regiment of 30 minutes of cardio, hour and a half of weights every day, you know, and uh, it first started out 10 minutes of cardio, then 20 minutes and 30 minutes. And every day I went to the gym, I, I said, you know what, I'm going to tell Ricky to go screw himself. I'm not coming back to the gym. I'm not doing this anymore, but I just didn't have the balls. I didn't have the nads, Edric, to tell him. And when I finally, after a month, <clears throat> remember, 30 minutes of cardio every day, hour and a half of weights, upper body, lower body, alternating. So it's a total of like four or five days a week at the gym. And when I finally, after a month, developed the strength and the wherewithal to tell Ricky, look, dude, I'm not coming back to the gym with you again. I don't want to do this. After 30 days, it was like a dude. I describe it as like being ejected from a doomed aircraft. Literally, mm. that was the feeling. <laughs> and I never, that, oh, no meds could do that. And I was, it was, I, I came out of the straight jacket and then I became addicted to exercise. <laughs> and so then I became addicted to, and then I, I became healthy. And then I started traveling and started doing things and started focusing. Um, it's not cured completely. I do get bouts. If I don't exercise now, I still, you know, I have to run to the gym when I feel it coming on. Um, so I strongly suggest to anyone out there who has, especially, and remember that you, the level of exercise that you're going to need to overcome this is dependent on the level of your depression. If your depression is like severe, like mine is or was, you're going to need to do some Olympian shit. Okay. <laughs> You're going to just to walk around the block or a jog is not going to do it. You're going to need to exert some energy. You're going to get the endorphins flowing. It's going to take a lot to get the endorphins flowing. And you're going to be impatient. You're going to think this is not working. I'm done with this. I don't want to do this because that's exactly how depression works. We don't want to exercise when we're depressed, but stick with it. I guarantee you within 30 days, you're going to feel like billions and billions of dollars, not just a million dollars. Thank you for sharing that. And uh, I think it's an it's important message that, you know, we need to make sure that everybody's hearing uh, because there's there's a lot of pain in, out there right now. Yes, and, um, absolutely. You know, people, absolutely. it's manifested itself in just behaviors and you see things on uh, how people are behaving with each other. So uh, thank you. And, and it, as I mentioned before, 
you are open, you are honest, you're raw, you let folks know the real and um, real artists do that. So yes, you are an artist, sir. Uh, (laughs) Okay. Make sure you call yourself that. Um, (laughs) Let me ask you now a question about, uh, you mentioned your daughter that hopefully you won't have to sell to fund this project. Um, (laughs) But how has fatherhood uh, affected your worldview and, and what impact, if any, has it had on your writing or just uh, going from where you've been as a child and an adult and adolescence and so forth and so on to now you have a child? How does that change your perspective if it has? Oh, man, Edric, you have no idea. In fact, I'm writing about that now. That's what I'm writing about now. But that. So. <clears throat> Dude, fatherhood is deep, man. It is. <laughs> it is. Uh, it's some. It's not for the weak at heart. You know. So, uh, so I became a father. You know, I have a baby mama issue. You know, what I mean, every we all have that dysfunctional African descendants of slave culture. So I have a daughter who's thirty-four, and uh, but we don't communicate because you know we'll be about drama. But this is more functional. This is. Uh, let me tell you something. Let me, okay. I was, I was not going to talk about this until I finished writing about this, but um, I was in the process of getting a divorce when I impregnated my wife. Hmm. So I returned from Japan to California because my wife was still in California. I went back to Japan. I returned to get a divorce, get it over with, and go back to Japan. And actually remarry or marry my girlfriend in Japan and I impregnated my wife and uh, so here's my wife now she you know at the time she was 39 years old she we had six days to terminate medically right and if we didn't terminate medically then we wouldn't have terminated at all so we had to go through some serious thinking i had to go to some serious serious thinking because uh, my mom my wife you know she said i don't want to be a single parent i'm not i'm not into that uh but i'm getting old and we have history if we've been together for 20 years now we've known each other 20 years and this might be my last chance to have a child and and i'm thinking what well, i want to get a divorce i mean that's i want to that's this is not the plan even though it's it was my responsibility i i take full responsibility for impregnating her um so I say that to say this child, so that in the end, after a lot of therapy again, acceptance and commitment therapy, which is part of cognitive behavioral therapy, which worked very well. Mm. You know, I learned things like positive sentiment override. And I, that's what I implement daily until it sort of became just natural. You know, it mm. took some time. So we decide, okay, I'm going to have the child and uh, I'm going to stay with you. We're going to stay together and we're going to raise this child. And this is going to be the absolutely most challenging and difficult thing I've ever encountered in my decades alive. And it is the most difficult experience I've having ever. In fact, sometimes, you know, now I see why motherfuckers walk. 
<laughs> I know. Mm. Yeah, I know mm. why. I know why dudes walk, and I know why people abuse their children. Mm. So you know, I'm not going to judge anybody. I don't condone abuse of children of, or of anybody, but I get it. When you, if if you have not overcome your trauma in your own personal childhood, you are going to be an abuser. Mm. You are going to lash out at your innocent child. So to answer your question, it's extremely difficult. It's extremely difficult. I, you know, I, I, one of the things, the first thing I set out to do with this child is to ensure that the bond with her is greater than anything else, greater than the bond between her and her mom, even. And so I was, I was physical with her from birth. I, you know, mm-hmm. I was reluctant to be in the room at birth. So I was, but I was there. I had her from birth and from birth, she was in my, my hands. Like from birth, I was handling her every day, every day. You know, I had to walk around for miles and miles to get her to sleep when she was a baby. <laughs> it got to the point where she couldn't sleep anywhere else, but on my chest and in my arms. So I have to get up in the middle of the night and go walk with her in, in the middle of the night. So from birth, and what that did was it created this bond where I'm having these experiences that I didn't, you know, I'm, I'm sociopathic. I, you know, I, I hail from a sociopathic um, mental state. So, so in fact, the title of the book is from, uh, <laughs> from, from, uh, I forgot the title. It's, it, but it implies that, you know, a sociopath journey to becoming a good father. Hmm. So, uh, it's, it's the most difficult thing I've, I've ever done to literally observe my childhood and intentionally and make a grand effort to go in the opposite direction and to be a mindful parent and to understand that, no, your child, contrary to what your upbringing tells you and the people in your upbringing told you, your child is not trying you. Your child is not testing you. Your child is not doing anything to you know, piss you off. That's just how babies, toddlers are. So if your child poured the poured water on the computer on your laptop and the keyboard and it fried your computer, she's not a bad child. That's what they do. And hmm. that kind of patience, you, you, you need a lot of patience. <laughs> I'm sure you do. You have kids, right? Oh yeah, of course. I have two, two daughters, man. They're older now, but yeah, man. And, and, and I think what you're, what you're getting at and the way I view it is um, there's grace, forgiveness, humility, and realizing that that child is a blessing and that it's an extension of you. It's yeah, not you. Yeah. It's not yeah. you, but everything around and in that child's world is affected by you. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's, that's an awesome responsibility, man. And yeah. for yeah, me, I was blessed, you know, my wife and I've been, been together for, for a long time and, we raised our daughters together. And so we've had that partnership, but uh, to your point, yeah. Um, becoming a father for me, uh, because as you know, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know if we've even talked about this, but, and I, I did a short film about this, but you know, my, my older brother um, who passed away from AIDS, uh, he died two days after my first daughter was born. Mm, wow. So wow. Um, when you talk, trauma and going through it. So within the span of 72 hours, I went through 
the birth and the death cycle. And, exactly. Oh yeah, and yeah. I dealt with, with the guilt of, I'm, am I too happy because my daughter is born? Should I be mm-hmm. more, you know, it, it, it messed with me, man. And like you, you know, I had to seek out, you know, professional help and make sure I got through things. And, you know, and I, I share that and I'm, I'm freely open with that because I agree with you. Uh, it is important, especially our culture. We have to get over that stigma yes, of not reaching do. out. Yeah, um, yeah. But, to, but again, fatherhood changed everything. It changed the way I listen to music. It changed the way I write. It changed the way I see the world. Um, suddenly things that were so important are no longer important. Uh, yes. Right, <laughs> right? right. And the things that, that it's the little things, like you said, when your daughter's sleeping on your chest, you, you, you can't buy that. You can't, you can't fake right. that. You can't create that some other way. That's a natural feeling, I think, especially when fathers have daughters, because I have daughters. Right, so, right, right. Right there with you, man. And uh, um, so congratulations, you know, on, on, thank you, thank you. on getting through that. And you have a, a little one now, right? She's two and a half. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. She's, uh, oh man. <laughs> she's, she's, oh, my God, dude. Oh, dude, man. Two, about, about three months after we moved to Japan, the police was called to our apartment <laughs> twice. Okay. So, you know, <clears throat> when we were in California, we lived out in the woods in, you know, West Marin, you know, in the forest. Sure. She'd scream. Nobody heard us. But we knew that once we get to Japan, we're going to be in an apartment. So to make a long story short, we got here, man, and the police came. Not, she's, she has the scream on her. Mm. Like she had it since birth. Like, she's an, mm. definitely, definitely, definitely an opera singer. <laughs> she had the scream on her, and she screams for like an hour and a half straight. You, mm. you would think she's being beheaded. So the police comes knocking on the door. Uh, six of them came. And when they when we opened the door, she ran outside in her in her pampers. And I said, she, she's okay. You see, she's not, we're not trying to. Then the second time, 12 of them came. Whew. And one, they call a woman, they call a female officer to come in to take off her clothes and inspect her. Oh wow. You know, I mean, but but Edric, if I heard a cry, a child crying the way my child cries. I would call them. I would call the military. I'd call the Navy. I'd call everybody because I'm, I'm not mad at them. I'm just trying to show you sure. how this, this child is. Sure. She's not, sure. You know, she's not for, but you know, the good, the thing that I'm surprised about, I, I have these feelings for her that I didn't even imagine that I could have for anyone. Mm-hmm. Like when I go to work, I miss her, but she goes to bed at night. I miss her. And it, now she keeps me up and I haven't slept in two and a half years. But now, <laughs> you know, before she was born, I think there's nobody on the planet that's worth my sleep. I would, whatever it is, if it's a dog, I'm putting her down. I'm putting <laughs> him down. Nobody's worth my sleep. And so now it's okay. I'm not sleeping well. My cognitive skills have diminished dramatically. I can't write. I can't do anything. I can't remember anything. Um, and it's like, yeah, I miss her. I never thought that was possible. I never thought I could do that. I could generate these feelings and this kind of attachment. Wow. It's a first. It's a first for me. Well, thanks for sharing your, your journey through fatherhood, because uh, like I said, I know it's, it's had an impact on, on your, your work. And so, um, but let me, let me shift back now to um, the, the, uh, how you and I first met, which right. was when you right. had just written uh, Black Passenger. Black Passenger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. That book was so far ahead of its time. Um, Looking back now, the way people share and reality show, whatever, you actually had an opportunity and you took advantage of an opportunity to shed light on um, 
themes and, and cultures that I don't know if anybody had ever explored the subject matter that you, you, I don't think so. I think I, I was the first, so. I think I was the first African person, the first, first person of African descent to do it in Japan anyway. Right. You know, right. now, and, and I was doing it before, you know, the advent of YouTube and Facebook. Well, I mean, Facebook and all those, those social media platforms were very embryonic at the time. Yeah. I was just getting started. Uh, YouTube was like brand new. And yeah. Facebook yeah. and it was what MySpace was the big thing at the time. That tells you how long ago it was. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, so I think I was the first. I mean, lots of people have come after me, but I think I was initially the I was the initial, I was the icebreaker. And people thought I was crazy. <laughs> and I thought, because because what happened was I, I couldn't write about the sex as as an African person, because then I would have been contributing to the stereotype of the, the black man with his dick in his hand. Right. And I thought I couldn't do that because that's not really what I want to show people. So I couldn't write about the sex without writing about the society. And then I couldn't write about the sex and the society without writing about me and how I became me and how I got to Japan and how I began to take advantage of these social dynamics and you know, and, and about my own faults. And like, look, you know, basically I'm saying, look, I'm not perfect. I'm not, I am an anal sphincter. And I'm going to tell you that hands down. And so here's what I'm doing. And here is the reason I'm doing this. And here is the social dynamics that enables me to enable me to, to do this. So I think, yeah, I think in, I was, I was first, I made some mistakes with that book. Um, yeah, I made some mistakes. It could have been more successful had I not made some serious mistakes. Um, it was going to be republished by uh, a major publishing house, and uh, some things happened. And sure, yeah, I, I, yeah, you don't have I to get into it. it. Yeah, but, yeah, I, but I learned. I learned a lot. I learned a lot, and hmm. I decided I'm not going to write anymore. <laughs> I'm not going to write books anymore. I'm, I want <laughs> it's going to be visual because people don't read. Yeah. Well, I guess in a whole week, I have a whole conversation on attention span and um, yeah. the, the lack thereof. But um, I, I just when I read the book um, again, it it opened my eyes to a, an entire society that I had no clue about as a, uh, you know, African-American male growing up in Northern California. Um, you know, I didn't know about all of that, all of the the nuances of the sexual politics in Japan as it relates right. to men and women. And right. it just really uh, illuminated uh, uh, some, some really interesting themes that, um, you know, I think still, of course, reverberate to this day. So looking back now, uh, more than 10 years later, um, you know, is there a chance for a screenplay adaption or have you, I mean, is, have you thought about something like that? Because it's, uh, it, it, it's, it's a great piece of work, man. It still is a wonderful, wonderful piece thank of you, work. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's been optioned twice. Uh, nothing came of it. Um, there is, there, I, I do have some plans for a screenplay, uh, but I want to do River Mama sure. slash Bird Circle Lane first. Sure. And then we're going to visit Doodle Boy and then we're, or and then we will visit Black Passenger, or maybe do do one Black Passenger concurrently. But yes, there is, there is. Uh, I think I'm. For me, Black Passenger, you know, I would like to revisit it and edit it and and get it out, uh, make some adjustments to it, and an addendum, and and. Uh, but I'm so busy with, <laughs> with sure. fatherhood that sure. I can't do anything sure. else because. Sure. You know, I'm 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 an ADHD adult, right? And I, I've I'm hyper focused on this fatherhood thing. I, I shouldn't diminish it like that. I'm hyper focusing on being 
a good father to my child. And so everything else just goes by the wayside. Um, Cause that's the most important thing to me right now. Understood. Uh, we have a couple minutes left. So now let's talk about how folks can, can help with this project. You started a Kickstarter for River Mama. Uh, tell us about that and uh, where people can get more information and how they can help you uh, get this story out to the world. Right, absolutely. Uh, just go to the Facebook page. It's um, Kimama Productions, K-I-M-A-M-A Productions uh, on the Facebook page. It, you'll see the Kickstarter campaign there. Um, and I think we don't have a website at the moment because we don't have any funding. And so we have another 20 days left and I'm keeping my fingers crossed. You know, I'm still, like I said earlier, and, and you know, I'm making contact with uh, a lot of the LGBT organizations. And uh, so far, the press, only one has contacted me today. So there is still hope. Uh, there's a lady in, in, in Jamaica. Uh, there is also the J flag in Jamaica that... Uh, are looking to come on board. So go to the, the, um, the Facebook page, Kimama Productions, K-I-M-A-M-A Productions, and uh, you, you'll see the Kickstarter campaign there and, and keep in touch with us on the Kimama Production page on, uh, on Facebook. You got it. And we'll put a link in the description uh, when the video gets posted. So we'll be able to go right to it, click the link. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And so yeah. my last question for you is, uh, now we didn't get a chance to go in that much detail about doodoo boy but is it still available on youtube or uh it's not available I, i'm in the process of actually making a doodoo boy website so it okay. can be streamed because okay. i really miss performing it live you know of course given the pandemic situation i haven't been able to do that for i haven't done it in about two years and so what i want to do is um i'm going to build a website hopefully within the next 30 days and make it available um, on the website, but for now it's not available anywhere. Uh, cause I, it was originally was going to be on Amazon prime. Um, but Amazon changed their, their rules and they're not accepting, uh, any, um, nonfiction work. Hmm. And so, yeah, so I'm just going to make it available on my own website and, and, and stream it from there. And I'll, uh, I'll, you know, send out a, an email or something or some kind of do some kind of marketing to to get people to know that it's available but you know i miss performing you know i, I really love is the thing about one of the great things about performing sure. that piece is that every time i did it you know so many people would come up to me and tell me that you know look you just you hit a nerve you know you <laughs> i have a father exactly like yours or i had i had experiences exactly like yours thank you very much for for doing this and and the point i'm trying to make is that Look, we all have a story. We all of us, especially if you're of African descent. If you're a descendant of slaves, whether you're from America or Jamaica or wherever, there's a significant chance that you have a story. <laughs> and it's marketable. You should write it and perform it and do something with it. So I encourage everyone, if you think you have an interesting story, which, which I think you do, write it. And you know, don't worry about you know, who's going to consume it or watch it or blah, blah. Just write it first and, uh, you know, because you have a story. Well, sir, um, let me just say thank you. It's, it's, oh, it's been you. too long. It's been way too long uh, since we connected. And yes. uh, it's good to see you. I'm glad likewise, you're healthy likewise. and happy likewise. and, likewise. you know, uh, doing what you do, man, which is put themes in people's faces and make them think. And it relates right. and, and, and it challenges people which is what we need. Um, I, I, my own editorial comment, I think 
we're going too far the other way of people being scared to talk about issues right. and, and things right. that, that we need to talk about, especially right. in our community. So right. kudos to you, man. And uh, again, for everybody, Thank we'll you. put a, a link to the Kickstarter. We'll put a link to uh, River Mama. You can get all the information about how you can help them support this project. And when it's done, hopefully you can come back, man, and we can talk again. Oh, yeah. You're and keep in touch, that. man. You're Absolutely. To Good Thanks to see you. Thanks for having me on, Andrew. You're, You're welcome. welcome. You're welcome. You're welcome. You're welcome. All right. Thank you very much, sir. This is The Edric Show. I am Edric Jerome, your host. Thank you for tuning in. Please hit the subscribe button. Check us out on Instagram at Edric Show. Um, And of course, we always bring you intelligent conversation with interesting people. Thank you for tuning in and we'll catch you on the next episode. Hi, Edric. Thank you. All right.